it's finally here. We're only two days away from the kickoff of the 2018 college football season. This is always a special time for Sooner fans and college football fans everywhere. It marks the beginning of the best time of the year. The pageantry, the big plays, Boomer Sooner on repeat, and Saturdays in the fall filled with nothing but football wall-to-wall. Yes, it really is the best time of the year. But I have a message for Sooner fans. Beware. The opening game this season against Florida Atlantic has a very interesting theme attached to it that I have not been able to shake from my head. Every time Oklahoma has been in this position since 2005, they've lost the opening game of the season. Let me explain. The last three times Oklahoma has had a chance to win a national championship in the postseason, the previous season, they have dropped the season opener the next year. In 2004, they were blown off the field by USC in the national championship game. And that next year, they opened with an underrated TCU squad and were thoroughly manhandled by an experienced Frogs defense, losing 17-10 at home. Now, everyone knows how the 2008 season ended against Florida in the national title game. Eight months later in Dallas, the Sooners lost to an experienced BYU team. The offense just couldn't get anything going with a green O-line and a freshman Landry Jones filling in for injured Sam Bradford. Now, all the way back in 2015, just two seasons ago, the Sooners had a disappointing end to the season, losing to Clemson in the college football playoff semifinals after being favored to beat the Tigers. Eight months later again, an experienced Houston team big-played the Sooners to death, and Baker Mayfield couldn't get the offense humming in the second half. They lost 33-24. to Now here's the deal. Florida Atlantic is experienced, more talented, and better than those three teams that Oklahoma has lost to in previous years. Of course, Lee and I are going to break down every angle of this game coming up, and I will expand on why I think the Sooners are in for a fight in Norman on Saturday. But I would really love to know why this game is being looked at as a layup for the Crimson and Cream. Oklahoma's history this past decade and a half compels you to take this game very seriously. So that is my message for Sooner fans. Beware. You may not be feeling so great around 2.30 on Saturday afternoon. However, I must point out that Bob Stoops was the head coach of those Oklahoma teams in years past. I can assure you that Lincoln Riley will not be riding off the Owls. And if the Sooners come out and roll on opening day against a team that is better than a lot, of te- a lot of the teams in the top 25, it may be a sign that we have an absolute star on our sideline. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Griffin is the tailback. Latrell, the fullback, is in motion. They fake it to Griffin. They go to the end zone to the tight end. He's got it. Touchdown, Oklahoma. Trent Smith. Trent Smith welcomes us into this edition of West of Everest. Smith's touchdown catch against Kansas State back on December 2nd, 2000 tied the Sooners with Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game. OU, of course, went on to win 27-24 and then went on to beat Florida State in the national championship game. Smith had one of his very best contests at Oklahoma, catching eight passes for 96 yards and that one score. With August coming to a close and the offseason coming to a close, I could not think of anybody better than number 88, Trent Smith, starting us off today. 
Hey everyone, I am Lee Benson. You heard Grant at the top of the show with the opening take. We'll bring him back in a moment. We've waited so long. It's been nearly eight months since the Rose Bowl, and finally, OU plays this week. In fact, when Oklahoma does play on Saturday, it will be eight months since the Rose Bowl. If you missed our big season preview show, I urge you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and go back to the last episode and check it out. It's episode 63. It's a fun primer for the entire college football season. Also, feel free to leave a review when you subscribe on iTunes. Now that the season is here, the shows will be even better than they've been. Plus, we're back to two episodes per week. Mondays and Thursdays are when you can expect West of Everest to drop on your podcast player. If that changes for some reason, we'll let you know on this podcast or on the West of Everest Facebook page. Make sure you give that Facebook page a like to stay up to date with all of our episodes, and you can also watch the opening take live. Just a quick update on the growth of the podcast. I was looking back at the numbers from about a year ago when we first began the show, and one year later, the listenership has grown about 300%. So we appreciate the support. If you like the show, please tell your friends, tell your family members. Grant and I really enjoy talking Oklahoma football in a smart, fair, and fun way every single week, and we are thrilled that many of you have joined us during this journey. With all that being said, let's bring back Grant to begin our preview of OU's first opponent, Florida Atlantic. And Grant, where are you right now? I am on the Greek island of Santorini right now. And so if anybody's ever heard of that place, it's a very it's a very popular honeymoon destination. The beauty is kind of indescribable. It's uh, I'm actually sitting on on the deck of the Airbnb that we rented right now, and I'm looking out onto the dark Aegean Sea. Um, I see a bunch of lights from yachts and cruise ships and stuff, and I'm kind of looking to my right, and I see a lot of dimly lit houses that are on the cliff here in Santorini. It's beautiful here. I, I, this is an incredible thing. I think we're going to upload some pictures just so everyone can see exactly what my view was uh, while I was doing this podcast. It's incredible here. I would bet no other Oklahoma football podcast will have a season preview from Greece. I mean, yeah, I, I, would, I could only assume so. It's, it's, just, it's so cool. Like the, the weather is perfect. Like it's like 70 degrees right now with a light breeze. Uh, like 100 feet to my right, there's a, there's a Greek family and friends having like a small dinner and stuff. It's, it's so great. I, I just love the ambiance and the atmosphere here. You would never know that, you know, in, in three or four days that college football Saturday is going to kick off. That just shows how great our technology here is on West of Everest. We can plug Grant in from out of the country, and we're going to knock this out. Although I will say there could be some technical difficulties. So if something sounds weird to you all, when this is a finished product, it's probably because Grant is thousands of miles away from America. Yes, very, very far. All right, so let's jump into OU Talk. We'll get to Florida Atlantic actually in a brief second, but first I think we got to talk about Kyler Murray being named the starting quarterback. This was named after our last podcast that you and I did together. The news came out after we recorded, so we couldn't talk about it, although this is something that we all anticipated would happen. I don't have a whole lot to say about this. We all thought it would happen. I know I did talk about Austin Kendall having a real shot at that, and I think he did, but the writing was on the wall. I think whenever we found out that Kyler Murray got drafted, he's going to play baseball next year. 
Kyler Murray's a starting quarterback, Grant. Anything that you want to add to this storyline, or should we just move on to the Monday press conference? I don't know. I mean, I, I think I had always said that Austin Kendall had the same shot, you know, as any, like, you know, anybody has the same shot if you come in and just play really well. But I, the writing was on the wall from the beginning. Kyler Murray, you know, w- when he joined Oklahoma in 2015, in the, in the winter of 2015, he was always going to be the starting quarterback this season. And, and I think it was just, everything else was just, you know, a delaying of the inevitable. All right, and yeah, he a uh, couple of things from his press conference when he was named starter, just to point out, he says he thinks he's playing the best football of his life of the last few months in fall camp, and he's already said this before, that he's more ready and more excited for this season than he ever has been while playing football, and I believe him because he's been waiting for this opportunity to be a starting quarterback at a team like Oklahoma, and he wants to win a national championship, and I'm excited to watch him out there on the field. Yeah, and I, and I think... Um you know, a lot of people have kind of questioned, you know, what, what's going to be his motivation for this season. I've always thought that was sort of a silly question to ask because if he wasn't motivated to come play football this year, he, I feel like he'd be in Oakland right now or he'd be in, you know, he'd be in uh, low class A ball right now playing baseball and, and not in Norman, Oklahoma playing football. So I, I, this, is, this is obviously something that he's wanted to do his entire life. And uh, I, I, I got to imagine he's just all in. And so that, that, doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. It doesn't mean he's going to have an amazing season or anything like that. Uh, but I, I think it definitely means that you know, he's, he, his head is going to be in the game and he's, you know, he, he's ready to play for sure. Let's talk about Monday's game week press conference. Lincoln Riley took the podium and he had his first, again, game week presser of the 2018 season. And couple of notes from the press conference. Big one. Now, we're recording this on Tuesday. Normally, we record on Wednesdays, but since Grant's overseas, this is the best time this week that he had a chance to record. So, unfortunately, there still is no depth chart. That was a big thing on Monday. In fact, Oklahoma even had a – the program was out for the game. And for the depth chart section, it just had big, bold letters that said, not yet. So, Oklahoma having some fun with it. No depth chart. I still think that uh, by the time that you hear this podcast, maybe it will already have been released. Big production value, TV show, social media, because Oklahoma did that last year when they announced the depth chart. Lincoln Riley didn't say that that's what they're going to do, but I'm going to guess Oklahoma will do something like that just to get more buzz and, and get the names out there. So who knows when the depth chart will be out. We've already kind of gone over who we think is going to start on defense before on this podcast a few episodes ago. You can go back and listen to that. I think, though, Grant, we can do this podcast even though we don't know the depth chart. Do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I think we definitely can. The 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 positions that are up for grabs, I, I think the guys who are battling, they're all going to play, and they're going to play a lot. Um, I, I'm mostly thinking about the safety position. I think every like the, those six or seven guys who have kind of been rotating in the secondary, uh, those guys are just going to play a ton this year. Um, so um, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see, obviously, what they come out with. And like what you said earlier, I, I really do think that they probably will do that big production like they did last year. And I, I think they did it Wednesday of game week last year, didn't they, Lee? Yep. So I, I, I would just I, I think it's very safe to assume they're just going to do the exact same thing. Um, but, you know, I, I guess we'll see. I, I've, I think we, we talked earlier today and I said there's really just there's no upside to releasing a depth chart at all. So if, if I was Lincoln, Raj, I just wouldn't even do it. Um, but um, I, I think, you know, precedent from last year says that they'll probably release it on Wednesday um, after or, you know, 
you know, you're listening to this podcast after it's probably been released. So uh, hopefully we don't we don't say anything too foolish. A couple of things, though, that make me think that maybe they will not release a depth chart until game day. And I just kind of thought of these one last season. It was UTEP and UTEP is a team that didn't have a real shot of beating Oklahoma. This year, it's Florida Atlantic, and Florida Atlantic has a real shot to win this game. And also, Lincoln Riley was very coy about specific positions and different players who would see time on Saturday back on his Monday pressure. For instance, he was asked about which freshman might see some time Saturday, some significant time, and I loved how Riley answered the question. He, he First off, he, he, he said, I get that you've got to ask that question, but based off of strategy, the fans will just have to wait until Saturday to see what the answer to that question is. So it makes you think, okay, well, maybe there are some freshmen that are within that they're going to get some play. I mean, we know Buki's going to play. Uh, offensively, though, we're not quite sure. And then another quick thing, too, that makes me think maybe they won't release a depth chart actually until Saturday. Bill Biedenboe later on on Monday wasn't budging at all on who's going to start at center, who's going to start at left tackle, and who's going to start at right tackle. Now, we both think, obviously, that Cody Ford and Bobby Evans will start at each tackle spot. We just don't know where they're going to be. But the fact that Biedenboe wasn't going to give that information up on Monday makes me think that maybe they are going to wait until Saturday because Biedenboe also said you got to wait until Saturday to see who's out there playing. So I guess there's a chance that they might not release a depth chart. Yeah, and if they, and if they do, I, I really do think it's just gamemanship. Uh, because I, you and I, Lee, you and I were talking earlier today, and I, I really don't expect Lane Kiffin to name a, a starting quarterback at all. I don't think we're going to know who's starting at quarterback for FAU until Saturday morning. I don't think so either. I don't think so either. And we'll talk more about those FAU quarterbacks as we get more into the show. A couple other Monday presser notes I want to get to quick before we get into Florida Atlantic. Riley did say that both Caleb Kelly and Curtis Bolton will play the Will linebacker spot. There's just no starter determined yet. Also, he talked about Justin Broyles a bit. And he mentioned that Broyles has been a playmaker in camp. And a couple other things that was said about Broyles that really stood out to me from Lincoln Riley. He said that Broyles has some cover skills, which is not surprising because they recruited him as a cornerback. And also, Riley said that Broyles has become a student of the game. That last season during his redshirt year that Broyles studied game plans, even though, of course, Broyles wasn't playing in the games. And at, at, there was times where Riley said that they were close to pulling Broyles' red shirt because of his talent. And they thought they might need him, and they're just happy that that the, the depth still was there at the end of the year that they got to keep that red shirt. So I've heard a lot of good things from Justin Broyles. I love hearing that a guy is a student of the game and that he wanted to 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 study the game plans even though he wasn't going to play. Uh, Grant, what do you think about that? Well, I want to back up real quick if, you know, because you kind of skimmed over the Caleb Kelly and Curtis Bolton nugget. Um this is this is kind of this is kind of uh, concerning me, Lee. Is, is Caleb Kelly a bust? Is he? I don't know if he's a bust. I just think he might still be kind of injured. He might still be shaking the rust off from that shoulder surgery he had during the spring. I mean, there could be a situation where he's just he's not fully back yet, and he's still trying to get all figured out with his shoulder. Yeah, that's possible. And I guess without you know without more information, um, you know, we can only go on the information that we know. And I. I, have have they been talking about Caleb still being a little nicked up during camp? Because like I mean I just you know no, but I mean he he was out in the spring and they've mentioned that it's nice to have him back out there practicing after missing all of spring and also too he's changing positions as well. So I think that factors into where maybe he's not he's not running away with that will linebacker job as well. Yeah, I mean I just think uh, you know 
you recruit Caleb Kelly. You, you don't recruit Caleb Kelly to you know play behind Curtis Bolton coming off of a you know torn ACL. Uh, it's just uh, that that doesn't. It just doesn't. It does, is not not good news for Caleb Kelly if he hasn't if he hasn't taken that job definitively yet. I'm a little concerned about Caleb Kelly. Are you concerned at all about Justin Broyles? Because it doesn't sound like we have any concerns right now. No, he's going to be a stud. <laughs> I. We, again, we haven't seen him play. I, you've and been I'm not, saying that Buki's going to be a stud yeah, and I'm now. Not, well, it's two and, different levels. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm not saying Broyles is going is to step in and he's going to be dominant as a freshman. But, you know, he's, this, this is a talented guy. This is his second year in, in the program. Um, he, he's going to flash some potential. Him and, you know, him and Trey Brown were the two Oklahoma defensive backs, uh, Oklahoma high school defensive backs coming out. And, you know, a lot of people excited for both of those guys. And, uh, you know, there's just been a lot of really good talk about Justin Broyles coming out of camp and to the point where I'm just really excited for him. He's he, he's a player. He's a talker. And, you know, you talk about how he's a student of the game. And uh, I Justin Broyles is a guy I'm really excited for. He's going to be a great player for OU, I think. Yeah, I'm always excited to see the players in the secondary. Buki, the main one, obviously. And now with all the talk about Justin Broyles, I'm excited to see him yeah, now the, a lot. The, the second, well. the, the amount of the amount of talent in the secondary right now is uh, in depth. I, I maybe unmatched in the last couple decades at OU. And I'm I'm not saying this will be the best you know unit ever. I'm just saying this might be the the deepest you know best collection of talent, uh, you know, startable talent they've maybe ever had back there. And uh, it, it's young talent, so there's definitely going to be some kinks in the armor, you know, showing up or chinks in the armor. Um, but you know, that's to be expected when there's a lot of youth back there. But you know, when there's athleticism and talent, that's going to show up as well. And I'm really excited for that. Riley said something that we all assume to be true: Buki will start at nickel, but he'll also have the ability to move to the safety positions if needed. Again, to me, that's not that surprising. He's a player that. I think is going to be asked to do whatever is best for Oklahoma because I think he's going to be the best defensive back on the team, maybe the best player on the defense. And yeah, and so Carse, we, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we, we, I mean, we, we even said it during the spring in the spring game, and he looked, he looked like the best player on the defense uh, in the spring game. You get, I mean, listen to any of the coaches talking about him. Uh, Kerry Cooks, Mike Stoops, they get a little glimmer in their eye when they talk about him. Um, you know, I think I, I think I heard Eddie Rad or uh, Eddie from Sooner Scoop say that the other day. So hat tip to him. Um, he, I, he, he might just be the best player on the team, to be honest with you. Um, I, I don't know if I've ever heard them talk about a guy like this and, uh, his ability to move to safety. That's, I think that's expected. I think you and I both said that when they're not in nickel, he would probably play safety as well. Um, mm-hmm. so well, that's what he did in the spring game. Yeah. And so I, I fully expect Buki to be playing that Tony Jefferson role and, and that's, that's great. That's great. If, if, if Buki can come in and be as effective as Tony Jefferson was in his three years at OU, uh, great. Anything else is gravy. And on the offensive side of the football, we had one depth chart question answered. Carson Meyer will start at the fullback slash H-back position. So it sounds like he's had a nice camp. The senior, his last year at OU, is going to get a chance to start there, and, and we'll see how he plays. Uh, it's he got big shoes to fill in uh, Dimitri Flowers. He can block. but uh, He can block, yeah. for sure. And it sounds like uh, Jay Bulware... And some of the other assistant coaches are really happy with what they've seen from him as one of those players who hasn't gotten much playing time at all. But he stepped his game up knowing that this is his time to shine. And we'll see if if he has a good week one against FAU. Yeah. And if he's a you know, Lee, he's a guy. Carson Meyer's big. He's a big dude. He's the size of a tight end. You know, he's, he's bigger than Dimitri Flowers. Um, so if, if, if he can give them anything just in, you know, ca- catching passes, that would be huge. He's a matchup problem over the middle for sure. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm curious to see how they utilize him, especially considering that Flowers was so yeah. 
useful in that offense. I yeah. don't know how they're going to use him too. Sure, yeah, and I'm not, you know, I, I'm not really expecting any sort of offensive production out of Carson Meyer. I, I really think he's he's likely to be more of like an Aaron Ripkowski type, more more of a blocker in that role. Um, I, I think we had said earlier. I, th- I think we're going to see a lot more two back. Uh, this upcoming year, I think we're going to see a lot of Rodney Anderson and Trey Sermon on the field at the same time this year. Uh, but you know, Carson Meyer, the, the guys, the guys played a lot in his career. He, he can block really well. So uh, this is he, he's a guy who's played, and he's he, he's going to be a good player for OU this year for sure. And a final offensive injury note: Riley said that Charleston Rambo is questionable for Florida Atlantic. I know Rambo is a player who has some intrigue because I think what did he redshirt? last year or I, I believe he was a red shirt last year yeah. so he's one of those players yeah who was like maybe he can come back and be improved and actually be a wide receiver that can contribute but that wide receiver room is just so big that uh, him being questionable certainly hurts his chances moving forward and it shouldn't be considered a, a big loss at all for Oklahoma in this game all right let's go on to week one Florida Atlantic now Lincoln Riley said at the start of his press conference on Monday, Grant, that Florida Atlantic, and I think you would agree with them here, and I'll ask you, FAU is a top 20 or top 25 team in the nation. Based on your opening take, Grant, is he correct? Yes, yes. Uh, Unequivocally correct, yes. Yeah, I think he is most definitely correct as well. I think this is a top 20, top 25 team. I believe that both of us said that the Owls were one of the more underrated national teams in our big season preview. I know I did. I, I think you might have mentioned them as well. They are receiving votes in the top 25 poll, but they're not in the top 25 poll. I think there's four or five teams ahead of them. And I'm not sure how many, and I think you've already kind of touched on this a bit in your opening take, but I'm not sure how many general Oklahoma fans really pay attention to the spread of college football games. But when you see that FAU is a three-touchdown underdog, it's probably easy to dismiss the Owls, but this is a school who won its final 10 games of the year in 2017, mostly in dominating fashion. FAU's best player on offense, best player on defense is back, and also 10 starters are back on defense. So this is a team that definitely is scary. So I, I agree with a lot of your assessments in the opening take. Yeah, We're going to go over. Oh, go sorry. ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, you guys know, I mean, it's, it's the season again, so I, I get to pull out my S&P numbers again. Uh, FAU, Lee, last year finished the season 11th overall in the country in S&P, only two spots behind Oklahoma, and they returned 72% of their production from last year combined. OU only, OU only returns 53% of their total production from last season. So you do the math. Like, I mean, it's, they're, they're, they're very good. They're like per S&P, they are fringe top 10 good. So I, I, I'm not, we're, we're not just pulling this out of our butts. <laughs> All right, let's go over the Florida Atlantic offense. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some of the key players on this team. We're going to talk about what they do offensively. We'll talk about, of course, the quarterbacks as well. And we'll talk about also how Oklahoma's defense should play this offense, how they should attack this FAU offense. So a lot of things we'll get into. I've watched a decent amount of film on FAU. I know Grant has watched some as well. So we'll have some X's and O's talk as well, plus just talk about certain players. And we'll begin with just some basics on Florida Atlantic. They do have a new offensive coordinator this year. Now, granted, Lane Kiffin is an offensive guy. How much of the offense does he call or have have a, a, a say in? Probably a lot, but... It's worth mentioning that the offensive coordinator last season was Kendall Bryles, and he is now gone. 
He's the Houston offensive coordinator now. The new OC is Charlie Weiss Jr., and the guy is 25 years old, which is pretty incredible, but somehow he's already gotten some jobs I saw Grant working for the Atlanta Falcons in the NFL as like an analyst yeah, and before I, he came back to FAU. Yeah, and I kind of looked into this a little bit because, you know, I, I did a lot of research on FAU before it, like the light bulb went off and I realized that Kendall Bryles left and they have a new offensive coordinator. Uh, but Charlie Weiss Jr. Lee, he was, uh, he was kind of Lane Kiffin's right-hand man at Alabama as well. He hired, he hired Charlie Weiss Jr. at Alabama. Um, and he, he was, he was responsible for working with Kiffin to, to, uh, to put together game plans. Um, and so I, I really think that the offense is likely not to change quite a bit. Um, we'll, we'll go into a little more, but they, last year they used a lot of 11 personnel, um, and uh, that's exactly what Kiffin did at Alabama with uh, Jalen. Th- think like Jalen Hurts' offense his freshman year. Uh, that's kind of what what uh, Kiffin's sort of mo is. Lots of RPOs and whatnot. So I, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that it's probably going to be very similar to that. And, and that's basically what Kendall Bryles ran last year at FAU, just with a little more tempo. Okay, let's go over a couple of the. Uh, actually, I have three names here. Some key returners for FAU's offense and by now if you're an OU fan you may have heard about Devin Singletary he's one of the best running backs in the country his nickname is Motor so they'll probably call him Motor Singletary a lot on the broadcast coming up on Saturday he's really good he had almost 2,000 yards rushing last season he had more than 30 touchdowns rushing I mean watching him on film Grant Singletary is the real deal he is a nice player he uh he can make people miss he's fast in a lot of ways, as far as the way he does make people miss, he kind of reminds me a bit of David Montgomery in some senses, which is another great running back in the Big 12 and in the nation as a whole. So he is the best player on this Ford Atlantic offense, and he is back this year, which he should strike some fear into Oklahoma fans' hearts and also Mike Stoops in that defense. What have you seen from Singletary? Yeah, I thought I think that's an interesting comparison, and I, I don't necessarily disagree with you because uh, actually the, the person when I was I, – I watched a couple games. Uh, the person that I, I was reminded the most when I watched him uh, was Trey Sermon. He looks a lot like Trey Sermon, um, but a little faster, a little more breakaway speed than Sermon. Um, so j- hmm. just just with kind of with with kind of the way that he is able to just kind of bounce off guys when it doesn't seem like he should be able to, um, but I you know I, I actually kind of like your David Montgomery comparison a little better. There was one run he had against Middle Tennessee, I believe, where it was like a twenty yardish touchdown, and he was near the sideline and bounced off a couple players, made some juke moves, and somehow matriculated the ball into the end zone. It was one of his better runs of the season that I saw. He's really it good. Reminded me a lot of David Montgomery. He's 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 very good. He's he is absolutely a I, probably one of the top five running backs in the country. And the other players I have as key returners on the offense are wide receiver Willie Wright, who was the leading receiver in 2017. He's a little shifty, small guy. I think he's listed at about 5'8", 5'9", like 160. He's smaller than Hollywood, yeah. Yeah, he's he's a little guy, but he's fast, clearly, and he's kind of their deep, deep ball threat. And also tight end Harrison Bryant. And Bryant was actually leading Florida Atlantic in receiving until he was injured and missed the final three games of 2017. He broke his ankle. He's expected to be back. I think he's ready to go for this 2018 season. Harrison Bryant is a player who flashed to me on film. It it really seemed like FAU liked to utilize him a lot until he got hurt. So that's another name to look out for on Saturday. Have you seen any anything, any comments you want to have on those two guys before we move on to the key losses for FAU? 
Yeah, and you know Willie Wright, he he seemed he, he uh in the games that I watched, they used him a lot on on jet sweeps and whatnot. He caught a lot of passes behind the line of scrimmage as well. He's he's kind of a little water bug, j- just like Hollywood. Um, you know, not 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 quite as good, but just you know, kind of in the same mold. Um, and, and Harrison Bryantley, he he lined up a lot in that H back role when I watched, kind of like uh, Dimitri Flowers. They moved him around a lot. And uh, I, I do have some stats here, Lee. When when he did play, I mean, he was he was a very efficient player. He caught 32 of his 40 targets on the season. He had five touchdowns and over 400 yards receiving. And so, you know, he's he's big guy too. He's six five, two twenty five. That's a matchup problem over the middle. Mm-hmm. And so that's like when, when I think of that, and in, in my head, I'm thinking, you know, this is where they need Ryan Jones and Buki to be good there. Um, because that's you know the nickelback and then the Sam linebacker when they're not in nickel. That's you know that's the guy that they're going to be matched up with a lot of the time. Yeah, Bryant, and we'll talk a little bit more about how he was utilized in the offense coming up. But to me, he he comes off as a big time security blanket type player for whoever plays quarterback. I know Driscoll looked his way quite a bit last year when he was in before he got injured. And to me, he just seems like, a, and you mentioned his efficiency with his targets. He's a player that whenever FAU needs a play or they need to pick up five, ten yards here and they know a guy's going to run a nice route and catch the ball, it seemed like Bryant was the guy they went to. All right. So how about the losses, though? And this is big. This is, this is significant. Three starting offensive linemen are gone from FAU and that includes two all-conference players so they got to replace three starting O-linemen two of them all-conference that's big and then of course the quarterback Jason Driscoll just decided to stop playing football he had eligibility left but he just said okay I'm done I've done all I need to do with football and I'm out which is pretty interesting and that's a good thing for Oklahoma because once he got into the uh, in the lineup last season, FAU's offense really started to take off. And I know that Singletary is the main part of their offense, but it seemed like Driscoll was was the key to really elevating it to another level. And so it's nice that Oklahoma doesn't have to face this guy. And so FAU will have a new quarterback like Oklahoma. And right now, Grant, as you mentioned earlier, it's a, it's a competition, and you don't think that a star is going to be named – do you have any thoughts on these three players? Should I name them all first before we get into these three different guys? Yeah, go ahead and name them for for everybody. So, yeah, they still haven't named a starter, as Grant said. And, again, I agree with him. I wouldn't be surprised if Kiffin does not announce a starter at all, and we've got to wait until Saturday. Right now, at, at first it was a two-person competition. Now it's a three-person competition. The three guys are DeAndre Johnson, Chris Robison, and SMU grad transfer Rafe Peavy, who transferred to FAU less than a week into fall camp. So he hasn't even been on the team for a month yet, and he's in this quarterback competition. Let's go over a few of the guys. Johnson was at Florida State in 2015, and some of you might remember this, and I was reminded of this as I looked them up. He was the guy, he punched a girl at a bar, and it was caught on camera, and he was kicked off Florida State's team. He ended up going to East Mississippi Community College, and I guess that school was featured on Last Chance U, which I say I guess because I've never watched that show on Netflix, and now he's at Florida Atlantic, so that guy's got a bit of a checkered past, and he was on the team last year as well, and he got injured a season ago. Chris Robinson, you know about him if you're a Sooner fan. He's intriguing. Uh was at Oklahoma, was kicked off the team at OU, and now he's at Florida Atlantic. And I believe Riley had some nice things to say about him on on Monday during the press conference. Honestly, didn't look too far into what he said because, to me, Robinson's gone. He didn't play at all. He was there for a spring. I don't want to put too much time into him. And then, of course, there's Peavy, who is a 
career backup. He was at SMU last, and he also played at Arkansas for a bit as well. And this guy's trying to, to start games here in his final year of college. So those are the three players. I have no idea who's going to start. And I don't know if you know who's going to start either, Grant, or if you have any fears on who will who will get the starting nod. What do you think? No, I mean I've I've been I've been trying to scour message boards, Florida Atlantic message boards. I've been reading everything, like every newspaper in South Florida. Uh, I got no idea, no clue. I I I'm I'm, I'm I feel pretty safe in saying it's not going to be Rafe Peavy. Uh, this is a guy who's literally only played in three games in his entire career. He's only thrown four passes in his entire career. Um, he's completed all of them for 116 yards and a touchdown and no picks. Um, but you know, that was, that was last year at SMU as, as a, as a backup. So yeah, I, I feel pretty confident in saying that he's not going to be the guy. Um, so it's between DeAndre Johnson and Chris Robinson Lee. And I have no idea. I have no clue whatsoever who it's, who's it going to be. I, I would, um, in, in terms of Oklahoma, I would say I, I kind of hope it's Robison because they sort of have the book on him. They they kind of know what he's all about. Um, but I don't know. I, I if if you, if that put a gun to my head, I'd say it's probably going to be DeAndre Johnson because he's been in that program a little longer than Robison, I believe. Actually, no, they've they've been in the same the same amount of time. Um, so Lee, I I really don't know the the and that seemed to be kind of the the general consensus among the beat writers and the message boards. Nobody's got a clue. It's Lane Kiffin's kept it really close to the vest. Okay. Yeah, I I mean Robison did, you know, play last year right away in the first game and then I believe he injured his knee or I mean, something like Deon, that and then uh, the, Johnson, not Robison. What a, Oh, sorry. Yeah, Johnson. And he yeah, he uh, uh he, yeah, DeAndre Johnson. Yeah, he missed the rest of the season for uh, blood clots, I think actually I read today. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. It was something very unique. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, I guess he's fine now and he's he's supposed to be there. Yeah, I I don't really know who's going to play either. I guess I would lean towards Johnson just because he has I guess taking some snaps in real games and Robinson is not, but uh, I kind of would like to hope that Robinson's the starter because I mean, Oklahoma recruited him and had him on the Sooners. And I'm not sure if it would look that great if an Oklahoma recruit couldn't beat out Johnson and Peavy, who's been a backup his whole life. Granted, that doesn't say that much, but you'd like to think that Oklahoma recruits really good quarterbacks that could win jobs at Florida Atlantic. Uh, I, that's that's not that. I mean, they're, the Robinson and, and Johnson are both blue chip four star recruits. I mean, it's not really you're kind of yeah, that's you're, true. You're, you're kind of splitting hairs there with both of them. Well, from what I understand, all of these quarterbacks are pro style players, which is basically how Driscoll played last year. I know Driscoll could run a little bit for the most part, though. They wanted him to play within the pocket. So I think Kiffin certainly has a type of quarterback that he likes for this this offense. Robinson's a little slippery, and I know Johnson can run a little bit too. I, I know the the I, I definitely know Robinson is slippery. I remember you know last year watching some of his high school tape. He can run for sure. Um, okay. So, but he's he. I mean, he. I, I think he wants to stay in the pocket, but he can take off and run if he wants. Kind of like Mayfield. Uh, I, I I hate to you know compare him to Mayfield, but just the style of play. Um, he's he, he's a guy who who if you're you know if you're playing just you know full man coverage and you got your back turned to him, he can he can probably beat you out with his legs a little bit. All right, let's move on to the FAU offense as a whole, and this is going to be the part where I talk about what I've seen on film what it looks like they're doing with personnel groupings and different formations and I know Grant probably has some thoughts as well first off though I have a sentence here and I have a question at the end of it too that I'm curious to see what Grant has to say because I know that he has a better memory of this team and this coach than I do really looking back at it so Grant FAU's offense on film reminds me of the old Chip Kelly Oregon offenses it's simple up-tempo 
and it forces the defense to make tackles and stay disciplined. Is that a fair comparison? For yeah, you? yeah, that's that. It, it was very, uh, especially in the in the games I watched. They they just went very fast. They put a lot of emphasis on how fast they were going. Um, and yeah, it's it's very simple plays. Uh, they're they they don't really try to fool you that uh, a lot. Uh, it's just kind of they uh, they go fast and they got a lot of athletes with speed and they hand them the ball basically. So they try to get the ball you know as quickly as possible to their best athletes on the edge. Uh, that's kind of how they beat you. Except you know, Singletary can definitely run, you know, run between the tackles. But I, I yeah, I, I, yeah, I, definitely. I, I do like the Chip Kelly uh, Oregon comparison. That's that they're they're very similar offenses. Yes. So I have this long spiel on what I've seen from them on film, and I'll go into some details, and it, it'll take probably a couple minutes, and then at the end of it, I'll I'll ask you your thoughts on the FAU offense. I just wanted to prepare you for uh, this long soliloquy. I'm gonna I'm gonna go through here. So here's what I saw on film from FAU, and I watched three games from last season, North Texas, Middle Tennessee, and the bowl game against Akron. And Grant mentioned this earlier in the show. FAU loves 11 personnel, which that means you have one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers out on the field. And they like to play out of the shotgun or the pistol. Multiple series from FAU, I would see them utilize 11 personnel all the way down the field, not subbing out players, which forces the defense to not be able to sub as well, and also, of course, made the defense play on their heels a bit. A lot of the times, they would use the same formation in 11 personnel, which was shotgun or the pistol, with twins left or twins right, and the tight end, usually Harrison Bryant, playing as that up back on the strong side of the formation. And you heard Grant mention that Bryant does play as that Dimitri Flowers up back role quite a bit, and that's what they like to utilize him as a lot in that 11 personnel. Uh, on these drives, again, like I said a moment ago, it's pretty simple. You got quick lateral throws to allow the receivers to make some plays. You got handoffs to Devin Singletary to soften the defense a bit between the tackles as well, off tackle. Every once in a while, they'll send Willie Wright on a deep route where they'll max protect and go for the home run ball. And I think Grant mentioned that they'd use him in motion sometimes here and there, jet sweeps, whatnot. That's part of their arsenal as well. The tight end is heavily utilized in this FAU offense. Bryant was their leading receiver for most of last season, but again, he missed the final three games with a broken foot. They seem to like Bryant in the flats, I noticed. And one of my favorite plays that I saw them run was a nice misdirection RPO where Bryant lined up as the up back, and at the snap, he crossed to the weak side of the formation while Driscoll faked the give to Singletary. The whole play went to the strong side, but Driscoll pulled the ball and hit Bryant in the flats, who was wide open for 10 yards and a first down on third and five. So a good third down and, and minimum or a third down and medium play call there to pick up the first down. Also, FAU will set you up to create bigger plays later on, which is not surprising. A lot of teams do that. That's a sign of a good offensive coach. But for example, I saw in the bowl game, They'll swing it out in the flat to Singletary. Okay, no big deal. See if he can make a play. Then a few plays later, they'll run the same play to the other side of the field, but instead of throwing it to Singletary, Driscoll had a wide-open receiver in the middle of the field for 30 yards. And in that play, the Sam and Mike backers both would bite up on Singletary in the flat, which opened up the play in the middle of the field as the receiver pretended to block for a second and then released wide open, kind of like the pop passes we saw a little bit last year with Dimitri Flowers and Baker Mayfield. So the lesson is always on that. Discipline, discipline, discipline from the linebackers and the guys in the second level. So that's my 
my overview of the FAU offense, what I've seen on tape a bit, Grant, uh, what have you seen from this team on offense? Yeah, that's exactly what I've seen as well, too, Lee. And I, I, I misspoke a little bit about five minutes ago when I when you when we were making the Oregon comparison. I said they don't try to trick you, and that's that's not true. They do. They're, they're going to try to confuse you. Um, and so I, I fully expect them to feed uh, Devin Singletary the ball. And they're going to try to confuse Kenneth Murray with motion and jet sweeps. If, if they watch that Rose Bowl, I, that's going to be their game plan. They, they're going to use that stuff all the time in this game. And we're going to see right away if Kenneth Murray has, has improved this season. Um, because that's, that's, what, that's going to be their game plan. Full stop. That's a great, great call. I'm glad you brought that up. Because you mentioned that before on this podcast. And I think you're exactly right. Because we saw how... Kenneth Murray was susceptible to motion men and he was able uh, he, he was tricked into going and following a different player and it opened up big lanes for Sony Michelle Nick Chubb and, and company and also in the pass game too he would bite on play action he'd come up and then he would leave the middle of the field open and, and he wouldn't do his job so I think you're exactly right they probably saw that a lot in film from Kenneth Murray and Ken, you know to Kenneth Murray's credit we've talked about him a lot he's been in the film room a lot let's hope that he recognizes that he has had some weaknesses in that the opposing offense, especially a high-level guy like Lane Kiffin, and, of course, Charlie Weiss Jr. as well, too, even though he's unproven, they're going to see that on film. They're going to want to exploit him. So I think that's nice, nice job by you pointing that out, that it's something that I hadn't really thought of too much at all. Yeah, and so this is a, uh, and I think you know expect to see quite a bit of RPOs because I think this is going to be more of a more of a Kiffin centric offense and not Kendall Bryles. Uh, Lane Kiffin is last year at Alabama. He that's that's he kind of remade himself that or those last couple years at Alabama. Um, you know, with Jalen Hurts, they ran quite a bit of RPOs his freshman year there, and I, I think we're going to see you know quite a bit of that from FAU on Saturday. And Lee, you know, I, I'll, I'll I'll bust out all of my stats, and I, I just want to you know. FAU was their offense last year was was outstanding, and they they were a top ten S and P offense a year ago. Uh, they they were tenth in rushing S and P a year ago, and they have Devin Singletary back. Of course, they are going to be missing three offensive line starters. We're going to have to be replacing three starters on the, on the offensive line, which is which is certainly relevant. Um, but you know, I, I I'll be honest with you when you're when, when we're comparing you know the stats that we actually have on the paper right now, which is all we have. Um, you know, this is statistically. We're basically just hoping that OU has gotten a lot better on defense because statistically this is a pretty big mismatch in favor of Florida Atlantic based off of what we know right now. Um, so mm-hmm. we're really just kind of just crossing our fingers uh, that you know Kenneth Murray has improved, that the talent level on Oklahoma's defense is going to start uh, pushing through, pulling through, and whatnot. Um, uh, some more some more kind of stats to throw out there. FAU was 23rd in the country in last year in explosive running plays. Lee, OU was 116th in the country in preventing explosive running plays. Uh, so if FAU is gaining chunks on the ground early on, it's a really bad sign. Bad sign that OU has not really improved at all from last year, or at least you know based on game to game. Uh, mm-hmm. But but still, you know, on the flip side, they they weren't a great passing team last year, down to down. Uh, they're only 71st in passing S&P, and uh, the, the, you know, the quarterback they're going to be starting, whoever it is, is going to be making their very, very first college start. Um, but they, they were 13th in explosive passing plays, which is pretty, pretty regular for a, for a heavy running team. They, they usually like to take shots down the field. Um, you know, but OU last year did not do well you know, preventing big pass plays as well. But a lot of that was on Jordan Thomas in the first you know, seven or eight games of the season, if we're, if we're going to be completely fair about it. So, you know, I, I really am kind of expecting them to have a, a lot of the same makeup as they did last year, a lot with those 11, person, 11 personnel. That's, they're really going to try to make sure that, oh, you can only get seven guys in the box. 
Um, but hey, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I like I said, they're they're going to challenge OU right away, and and they they have the speed and the athleticism to do it. I mean, this is there's. I said in the in the previous podcast that this team's every bit as good as West Virginia, and I absolutely mean it. Well, we're going to do a little live listener questions, Grant, that I just saw on Facebook from Philip, and I think that you can answer this question because he wants to know about Devin Singletary, and he wants to know that you know, he, he mentions that Singletary had ran for all those yards last year, had those touchdowns. But this is a pretty good question, I think, and I think the S&P numbers – are kind of made for this question correct me if i'm wrong but philip wants to know is a lot of that though against bad competition yes but the snp numbers are adjusted for competition and so when you see uh you can just kind of go and look at their schedule after uh, when jason driscoll uh became the starting quarterback they just started to just blow out everybody they they just killed everybody um it, it was like so snp one of the big things is win expectancy and they had a 100% win expectancy in in six of the eight games that Driscoll started. Uh, I mean, that's that that means they just dominated from start to finish. Um, and in the other mm. games where they didn't, you know, there's a 99% win expectancy, 98%, 96. percent uh, Yeah, I mean, they're they. You're right. They they did not play particularly good teams last year. The best team they played last year was Wisconsin. They lost by 17 at Wisconsin. Um, and that was before Driscoll was playing as well. Yes, that was before Driscoll was playing. Um, other than that, they I, all the games they won, they the other team didn't even really belong on the same field with them outside of uh, a, a November 3rd game against Marshall in which they only won by by five points, but they had a 96% win expectancy in that game, and uh, which generally when that happens, that means they, they had a lot of unlucky turnovers and whatnot in that game probably. Um, so... Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. They, they did not play a difficult schedule last year, but you kind of have to take note of what they did against that schedule. Nobody really got close to them. They, they did exactly what they were supposed to do against a weak schedule. Before we move on to how Oklahoma's defense should attack this offense or play this offense, however you want to say it, I want to point out, too, that FAU is not afraid to be aggressive on fourth down, at least last year they weren't afraid and that was kiffin's first season the owls were five of six on fourth down in their bowl game against akron where they just blew out the zips and for the season grant fau went for it on fourth down 39 times and were 24 of 39 which is a 62 percent clip which is pretty darn good going on fourth down and you think back to last season right we were always excited about lincoln riley being aggressive on fourth down and going for it and and I think back to OU in 2017, I, I thought they were pretty aggressive on fourth down, Grant. Did you think that they went for it a decent amount on fourth down, or, or is that just something that I'm making up off the top of my head? Mm, it it kind of seemed like in situations they were pretty aggressively, but I, I'm assuming you're setting that up to tell me that they didn't really go for it on fourth down a lot. But Well, yeah, it's not anywhere near as much as Florida Atlantic did. But my, that's kind of the, the point, yeah. But, but the reason they didn't go for it on fourth down a lot is because they were never punting. They, they were just so good on offense that they didn't really, you know what I mean? They, they scored most of the time when they had the ball. <laughs> well, and so did Florida Atlantic, though. I mean, they didn't punt at all, really, because they probably because they went for it on fourth down and got it so much. And uh, OU went for it on fourth down 23 times last year and were 12 of 23. So that's a hmm. 16, 16 play discrepancy compared between Florida Atlantic and OU. So 
Yeah, and I, so we'll see if Kiffin's aggressive against Oklahoma as well. Why wouldn't he be? I mean, it's he has nothing to lose. Yeah, they're gonna be they're gonna be very aggressive in this game. This this is why this is why this game. I mean, I, I know against uh, if you remember against Houston too a couple years ago, they were really aggressive in that game because just why not? They have absolutely no reason to not be. Um, they're they're gonna run through their conference. No one's gonna freaking touch them. This is their season. This is their season. <laughs> All right, so the next question I have for you is how should Oklahoma attack this offense? Do you have any notes on this particular question, or would you like me to, to provide my thoughts? Well, so, oh, or, and how the OU defense should attack their offense? Yeah, how should they play this offense? What do you, I mean, watching them on film, what do you think would make the most sense for Oklahoma to do? Run blitz. Run blitz. Take, take thinking out of the game. That's what they should do. Just, they, what does that mean? Explain I, that. They need, they need Explain to, run blitzes. They need to send extra guys into lanes so they're not thinking about which lane should I be filling because that's what they do. Ah, it's, gotcha. It's, and, and especially in an offense like this where there's a lot of RPOs, a lot of misdirection, there's just when you play a two-gap scheme like this, there's just going to be a lot of thinking. And th- this is just that scheme is perfect for just getting just shredded by this offense. And so I, I, I want them to not think, and I want them to attack downhill. And if they if they get burned on a couple of big plays, that's fine. Um, but I, that's how you're going to do it. I, I just I, I really would hate to see them sit back and, and just try to react to stuff because uh, especially against an offense that that tries to confuse you and tries to to get you moving in different directions and then they go the other way. That's, that's just the worst scheme to run against these type of offenses. And I'm I'm very scared that they're absolutely that's absolutely what they're going to do. Well, I think the key to this game mainly, and this sounds like a broken record, is just discipline, which you can say that for every single game for the most part. So I know it kind of sounds generic, but also the key to me is the Sooners defensive line. They need to control the line of scrimmage against what's going to be an inexperience for the most part for the Atlantic offensive line. Bledsoe, Gallimore, man, all those guys, they just they need to take on blocks. And I guess maybe to your point a little bit, allow the linebackers to be freed up to make plays now you want them to kind of be able to go through those gaps and not have to think too much about where to go where to make the play which that makes sense too I would like to see some of that as well uh, you know this is not going to sound like a shocking thing if Oklahoma can tackle Singletary and contain them uh, the Sooners are gonna win the game pretty easily I think yeah that's, and, that's fair I and I, I think uh there's certainly a lot to be said of them only returning two starters on the, on the offensive line. Um, that, that's certainly significant. That's it's it's very rare that you can just plug and play guys onto the offensive line in college. Uh, that just that didn't happen very often, especially at a place like Florida Atlantic. And I I, I know they have some they have some Power Five transfers and whatnot, but I still that's tough. And uh, you know the Sooners who they, they weren't great on the defensive line last year, but. Yeah, they do got some depth there. I mean, they're going to play seven to eight guys on the D line on Saturday, and that's that. I mean, that's that. That might be where they make their money right there. Um, I I think they they do have a distinct advantage in the trenches in this game. And um, if you want to point to one thing where OU certainly has the advantage um, when their offense is on the field, I think that's it right there. And that's 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 the advantage that you want to have. The one note, though, too, Florida Atlantic's not going to want to be a, uh, want to allow Oklahoma's defensive line to sub a lot and and utilize that depth because they're going to want to go up tempo and hurry and keep those same players on the field and get them tired, which is what I saw on film a lot. So, if FAU's going up tempo, Oklahoma's going to make sure have to make sure that they are in good shape for this Week One game. It's going to be hot out there, 
It's going to be a hot September, early September day in Norman, Oklahoma. So I heard hopefully 95. Oklahoma, it's going to, yeah, it's going to be warm. Yeah, that's, low to mid-90s, something that's like that. Just, that's like not even safe. I can't believe they're playing that game at that time. That's ridiculous. Well, it'll be even hotter at 2, yeah, probably. Good, well, so. I mean, yeah, they're still going to be playing at 2. <laughs> yeah. See, last year's opener against UTEP, was that a 6 o'clock kickoff? Or, no, I think that was a 2.30 kick. It was, it was the 2.30 they, national game on Fox. The UTEP game? Well, oh, yeah, it was. They played. <laughs> wow, that's interesting because it was all about Baker Mayfield. So, yeah, that's uh, one thing to think about also. And, and I mentioned a second ago that if Oklahoma can tackle and contain Singletary, I think they're going to win easily. However, that's a lot easier said than done considering, again, he's one of the best running backs in the nation. And Oklahoma's defense has been mostly terrible for the past two years and has been shredded on the ground by good running backs. Uh, I'd like to see the secondary play aggressively, play up on the wide receivers, get a jam, disrupt the timing of those quick, easy passes that they're going to want to have the quarterback throw. I'm not sure how often Oklahoma should blitz in the game. I know you said run blitzes would be beneficial. Uh, FAU likes to call plays that get the ball to Singletary or gets the ball out of the quarterback's hands relatively quickly. And I know Oklahoma likes to do that a lot too. So maybe seven to ten times a game, I'd, I'd suggest FAU will try to dial up a deep ball, which will require some more protection. So if you can time your blitzes out well, I mean, that'd be nice. Or I guess you could be super uber aggressive and just send the house a lot. Yeah, that's a, but that just hasn't really been Oklahoma's MO. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's fair. And I, I, I guess I'm this is me just probably showing my frustration at at their lack of aggressiveness the last couple of years, which is which is frustrating to me. Um, I, I these are going to be two. It's going to be it's going to be either DeAndre Johnson or Chris Robinson making their very first career college start. I want them to poop their pants because of pressure. Um, I, that's 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 just obvious to me. And and, and you're right. Lane Kiffin is likely going to want to get the ball out of their hands as as fast as humanly possible. And I'm glad you brought that up uh, because another thing that I saw on tape is they're really gonna um, they're really gonna challenge Oklahoma's secondary and how they tackle. Um, so we're, like I said, I mean, that, that, that was a, uh, that was a weakness last year, uh, a lot in the secondary was, was their tackling in the secondary at times. And once again, they're going to be tested right, right on the get go at that, because th- there's, there's going to be a lot of instances on the, on the edge with Willie Wright and Devin Singletary and, and probably the tight end as well, where it's going to be one-on-one where they're not, it's, it's Parnell Motley or Trey Norwood and Trey Norwood is who I'm, I'm most concerned about in situations like this. I really feel like they might attack him really hard on the edge. Um, they're gonna have to tackle, um, and so we'll we'll see. Uh, they're they just no. Lane Kiffin is is going to know exactly where Oklahoma was was weak last year on defense, and he's going to attack it incessantly. And so that is that's going to be Kenneth Murray up the middle, and and that's going to be Trey Norwood tackling. And so just expect to see that. Let's move on to the Florida Atlantic defense. Little overview on that unit. Just like the offense, Florida Atlantic has a new defensive coordinator. The previous D coordinator was Chris Kiffin, which was Lane's brother, and he's now an assistant coach with the 49ers. And so the new defensive coordinator's name is Tony Pecoraro, and he was previously at Southern Miss for the past two years. And since FAU has a new defensive coordinator, I'm not so sure how useful the 2017 FAU tape was to watch. Uh, what I saw was a defense who liked to hide coverages a decent amount of time uh, against North Texas, for example, which is probably the offense that FAU played last year that best resembles Oklahoma's offense. Spread it out, a lot of shotguns, some pistol, a, a pretty decent quarterback in Mason Fine who can throw it around a bit. I noticed that the Owls 
were showing some press man coverage quite a bit before the snap, some man free with the free safety kind of being the, the one guy playing playing back there to to prevent any sort of long plays. But then at the snap, though, they'd shift to cover three and they would play more of a zone, more of a cover three zone. Not sure if the new defensive coordinator is going to utilize the same principles, though. So uh, I know you mentioned, too, that you know, how much can we get out of? We were talking off the air. How much can we get out of watching FAU's defense last season? I'm not so sure because the coordinator's different now. You know, I'm Lee. I, I that's that's what I said when I when I, I, I yeah we were talking earlier, and I, I really don't think we can really take anything from their defense last year except for their personnel, except for the guys who are actually playing. Um, Tony uh, Pecoraro has a completely different philosophy than the last guy. Um, so j- just to give you a sense of what it is, uh, Tony Pecoraro was the defensive coordinator at Southern Miss last year, and they finished 31st in S&P defense. And, and before I get too far into that, I want to go back to um, FAU's 2017 defense. They were, they were very much a bend-but-don't-break defense, um, so they, statistically at least. So they, they finished 53rd uh, in defensive S&P, which was 48 spots better than Oklahoma. Um, they were actually less efficient than OU's defense play-to-play, actually. They were 70th in success rate. OU was 60th. The big difference was just preventing big plays. FAU was 23rd in the country in that regard. OU was like 116th. You know, so that's awful, obviously. And if, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, if, if, like, you know, if you don't think that's a big deal, you know, here's some food for thought. If, if those roles were reversed and if OU was 23rd in preventing big plays a year, uh, big plays a year ago, uh, they likely have national championship number eight, and they probably would have went fifteen and zero last year. So that's that's the difference between you know that. So, but I, I really don't know what we can glean from that lead because Tony Pecoraro's uh, philosophy is aggressive, is very aggressive, and and that's that's the uh, that's what I get from reading uh, beat writers, from reading scrimmage reports, uh, message boards, and whatnot uh, from people who have watched scrimmages that they have noticed uh, intense. Uh, aggressiveness in the defense, and so I went back and looked at Southern Miss's defense from a year ago, which which finished 31st in S&P defense, which is which is pretty good, and it was very very consistent with with an aggressive defense. They were 18th in havoc rate, which is turnovers, tackles for losses, uh, sacks, and whatnot, and they were 85th in allowing big plays. So they were very aggressive. They had a lot of tackles for losses, but they also gave up some big plays. Um, so, like I said, I, I fear watching their defense from last year is completely useless because I think it's going to be a completely different scheme. So you went and looked at stats from Southern Miss. I went back and looked at some of one Southern Miss game, and it is a common opponent that FAU had, and that's North Texas, which I'm actually glad they played because North Texas, again, is an offense most similar to an Oklahoma offense where they're going to spread it out. They're going to be able to throw the ball downfield if they want to and, and be up-tempo and powerful. And so I watched some of that game, and Southern Miss's defense had Mason Fine, the North Texas quarterback, and that offense really on its heels for the first quarter and a half. And I did see a lot of defensive backs up near the line of scrimmage, even linebackers up near the line of scrimmage before the snap, putting pressure, getting jams, looking like they were, they were causing a lot of havoc as, as you're – mentioned in that havoc rate but as the game went on north texas was able to adjust and eventually north texas put up 43 points in that game and this was a game at southern miss so it was a road game for north texas and they were able to average 6.2 yards per play against that tony pecoraro southern miss defense so it was nice to see a north texas team on the road that's that had a, a pretty good offense, one of the better offenses in college football, but still a mid-major type team go up against that that same defensive coordinator. 
and have a lot of success. And there's a lot of big plays they were able to get because of that attacking style of defense. And one other note, too, this might not matter that much. Probably doesn't matter at all. It's just I thought it was interesting. It's worth pointing out. Uh, in the bowl game, Southern Miss played Florida State. And remember, Andre Francois was injured, didn't play in that game. And, and FSU was able to put up 40-plus points in that game. So FAU, FSU's offense last season wasn't that great, especially with Francois out. Again, it's a bowl game. Anything can happen, so it might not mean that much. But an offense, a power five offense, that's not anywhere near as good as Oklahoma's offense was able to put up 40-plus. So uh, Pecoraro, though, is obviously going to have a lot to prove, and Lane Kiffin probably wants a more attacking defense because Kiffin has so much confidence in his offense that he's like, hey, why not force more turnovers? Why not take more chances? Because on offense, I'll be able to score a lot of points anyways. Yeah, and that's that's absolutely how OU should have been playing all of last year as well. Um, and, and don't like, hey, I, I'm not I'm not saying that it's it's like it, I'm scared that they're going to come in and play like an aggressive style defense. That that's the type of defense that Lincoln Riley feasts on. Um, so like I, I I'm not incredibly worried about that. Maybe you know there's going to be some negative plays here or there if they find themselves in a battle. Of course, you know aggressiveness can you know can mean turnovers and whatnot. But I, I also have have some some other stats to throw out there that that may not it doesn't really matter in terms of of what sort of scheme they're running, Lee. Um, and I only say this because I think uh, Oklahoma there's certainly a, an opportunity in this game for Oklahoma to run the ball at will in this game. Florida Atlantic last year Lee was 90th in S and P rushing defense, and they were 106th in adjusted line yards. That means their front got blown off the line a lot. That has nothing to do with scheme. That has to do with just talent. Um, and they were and they oh, were wow. and they were 111th in stuff rate. Um, so the teams that have really good defensive lines, you're going to see really good adjusted line yards. That means that um, if if you're really high in adjusted line yards, that means your defensive line is making a lot of stops. That's what that means. Um, and and also stuff rate. That means uh, you're you're uh, you're stuffing people a lot on on short yardage situations, or or just you're stuffing them at the line of scrimmage or or behind the line of scrimmage. They were 111th at that last year, Lee. Um, so you're saying those two categories. FAU was awful. They were bad. They were very, very bad last year. They're, they they might be bad on the defensive line, um, and I I just I, I really think that it's it's possible that Cody Ford, Ben Powers, and Bobby Evans just just uh, assert their will and their dominance in this game. That's certainly that's certainly possible, and, and I I can really envision that counter trade just eating Florida Atlantic alive. So that that's the one kind of you know one positive that i can leave you uh with that at least well this is a perfect topic for the next question i had is how should oklahoma's offense attack this defense and there it is there's there's the, there's one of them run the football lean on the offensive line lean on those good running backs and you had the numbers to back up why that would be a, a pretty smart thing for oklahoma to do there other things uh again it's, it's hard to say because we don't know really what to expect because of the new defensive coordinator I'd bet, though, that Lincoln Riley is planning, again, it just not, not again, but he's planning to simply run his offense. FAU doesn't have a bunch of film on Kyler Murray as well, so they don't know how Riley's going to tailor that offense to Murray, so that's a bit of an advantage. And based on what I saw from FAU's defense last year, which, again, new coordinator now, so who knows, I would bet, based on the defense I saw last year, a lot of pre-snap motion that would throw the Owls off we know OU has those principles in its offense, which FAU does as well, by the way, in their offense. Uh, moving pieces around the snap, moving pieces before the snap, which Lincoln Riley loves to do, 
should be a nice way to create some formidable matchups for the Oklahoma offense. So those are some of the things that I think Oklahoma can do in addition to running the football and just, hey, let's let's utilize our big men up front and our good running backs. Uh, those are some of the, the ways I think Oklahoma can attack the defense. Do you have anything else to, to add in that respect? So uh, I posed a question to Grant that we had to stop the podcast because, uh, well, something happened in uh, – in Greece, where you are, and apparently you had to stop. Not sure how much you want to go into it, but uh, you're not happy right now, Grant. No, we'll move on. We'll just we were out that that uh, that family that I said was out having dinner behind me. They they got mad I was talking too loud. Um, they were also talking loud and interrupting me as well. So I I was the I was the be- the better person and just walked away. <laughs> All right. So I was asking you if you had anything else you wanted to add as far as how Oklahoma's offense should attack the FAU defense. Do you have anything else? Oh, how they should attack the, I think they should run the ball down their throats. <laughs> okay. So just run the ball. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's real quick. Let's talk about uh, middle linebacker Aziz Al Shair. This is a guy who Lincoln Riley mentioned at his press conference on Monday that he's a phenomenal player. And of all the guys that Oklahoma played against last season, the only player that Lincoln Riley like could see that is on this guy's level was Roquan Smith as a linebacker um to me uh, well I I will say uh, he led Conference USA in tackles last season but when I was watching tape on this guy granted again I watched like three games he didn't really jump out at me on tape as much as I thought he would Uh, he's great at finding the ball and making a play if, if you look at his tackle numbers however though he's not a player that blitzes a whole lot he only had two and a half sacks last year I know Roquan Smith blitzed quite a bit at Georgia Granted, Oakland Smith, he was the best linebacker in college football last year. Uh, Al Shair, he's utilized mostly, I think, as a director of the defense, which does make sense as the Mike Backer. You know, maybe I'm missing something with him, but he just, again, just didn't really jump out to me as much as I thought he would. I don't know. Did you really notice him a whole lot on tape? He just seemed really solid to me. Um, that, that's pretty much it. I It might be one of those things where it's just, you know, Lincoln Riley watches so much tape, and he, he can he – can, he can kind of pick out guys who know exactly where they're supposed to be, and then they're there at every at every time. And maybe that is, uh, maybe that is that guy. I'm sorry, I I, I kind of have a, I've, I've had such a hard time pronouncing his name. Like I, I had such a hard time. It's like one of those things I get tongue tied on. So I, I apologize for that. Aziz Al Shair. Aziz Al Shair. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's how Riley I, said it, at least. Yeah. He he seemed just very disciplined, and he seems like a good player. As far as being on the same level as Roquan Smith, I wouldn't. I mean, no, I think there's that's a little hyperbolic. Roquan Smith's, you know, maybe the best college linebacker I've ever seen. Um, you know, I, I I would say you know a guy like Malik Jefferson was probably a little more impressive. You know, David Long over at West Virginia is a really solid player. I'd probably put him more into that category. Um, but yeah, he's a good player, and who knows? In, in a more aggressive scheme, I mean, that might kind of unleash him a little bit. Another player that stood out on tape to Lincoln Riley that you mentioned at the press conference is safety Jalen Young. Again, I didn't watch every single game. I assume Riley's watched a lot of their tape from last year, so he's seen a heck of a lot more plays than me. But Jalen Young, again, to me, didn't really stand out a whole lot uh, on tape of the games that I watched. So, uh, again, I did. I, I watched more FAU offense than I watched their defense just because of the defensive coordinator situation. So, again, it, it may not be a fair assessment. I would tend to, to go towards Lincoln Riley, the guy who's a head coach of a big time football team and is very smart so he knows what he's talking about so I'm sure Jalen Young's pretty good Uh, I have one other note 
on FAU before we get on to what we want to see from the game. We like to do this. You know, what do you want to see? And then what is going to happen? So there's two different kind of categories. The last thing I, it's worth mentioning, I think, is that the Owls kicker and punter from last season are both gone. So they'll have a new kicker and a new punter this year, which I think could be significant, especially if it comes down to the kicking game. Yeah, for sure. And their their special teams were actually excellent last season. They were 13th overall in S&P. Uh, but they do replace both kickers, and I have read um, message boards and also beat writers, scrimmage reports, that kicking field goals could be a major problem for them. Like, they've missed a lot of really short field goals and extra points. Wow, so it's nice that Oklahoma still has Austin Seibert doing all the duties, and even though he's been much maligned a lot of his career, he had a good season last year. He was actually pretty darn good in 2017, so hopefully he continues that into 2018. Grant? This is the most fun category, I think, when we talk about these previews is, is we go over what, what you and I, what, what, what do we want to see? And obviously, we both want to see Oklahoma win, but more specifically, what are you looking for in the game? So I'll pose that question to you. What do you want to see in this one? I want to see a more aggressive defense. Uh, like I already said, I, I, I want to see guys shooting into these running lanes and, and getting tackles for losses. Uh, that's, that's really what I want to see. Um, and, you know, I, I really hope Mike Stoops has more confidence in his corners. Like I said, I, I think I said this, you know, a couple months ago, there is evidence to suggest that when, when Mike Stoops has, has a lot of confidence in his safety positions and in his corners and playing man coverage, that he gets a lot more aggressive. And so I'm just, I'm kind of putting my, putting my hands together and praying that that's, you know, there, there's some, you know, where there's smoke, there's some fire there. I'm, I'm hoping. Um, the, the only iffy part about that is is maybe the running ability of FAU's quarterbacks. They can be a little slippery, so obviously you don't want to turn your back and cover too long or they can take off. Um, other than that, I, I'm going to be watching Kenneth Murray and Buki very, very carefully, mostly with Kenneth Murray. I want to see how much he's improved. You know, talk is cheap. We'll, we'll, see, if, you know, we'll see if he's improved as much as everyone says he has. Um, you know, how does he look making decisions? Does he still look unsure with, you know, with where he wants to go? Is he still getting confused? Uh, that's what I want to see. And also with Buki, I want to see what his role in the defense is. I want to see if he's like, if he's the Roy Williams type of the defense or if he's the Tony Jefferson type of the defense. Um, I really want to see how they're going to incorporate him and how he's going to fit within the scheme. That's just very interesting to me. So that's just, that's defensive stuff. So it sounds like you have defensive thoughts. What about offense? Anything? Or is it just pretty obvious you want to see the offense move the ball and score points? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. No, yeah, I, I do. I, I want to see the offensive line uh, assert its dominance. Um, I, I do want to go back to those 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 three games in the past that I've mentioned. You know, from two thousand five, two thousand nine, and and, and two thousand and sixteen. Um, a, a major theme in all of those games was poor performances by the offensive line. And uh, going back to that 2016 game against Houston, uh, you know, the last time we saw Jonathan Alvarez, he was getting his lunch handed to him by Ed Oliver. Um, that was the last time we saw him. And so he, he might start this game. You know, he's going to play a lot in this game, presumably, as well. Um, so I, I'm hoping that uh, there's, you know, the offensive line is gelled already. And then the three, you know, the, the three and four veterans who have been on there the last, you know, who played a lot last year um, are ready to go. And, and also, I, I just, I really want them to, to, to feed Rodney. I want him to touch the ball 30 times. Uh, you know, Trey Sermon, I want, him, I, I want him to get a lot of touches as well. And of course, you know, we're, we're all going to be watching Kyler Murray. You know, th that goes without saying. Um, I, I, I think we all want to see what sort of role he's going to have in this offense, how much he's going to run, 
Um, I, I think we all have the feeling that this this offense this year is going to be a little more run centric, um, but you never know. I mean, we'll we'll see how much he airs it out. But I, I, obviously, I think most people are going to be watching. You know, Kyler Murray. I, I figured you would probably touch on that, so I, I wanted to kind of give the stage to you on that one. Yeah, I, that's perfect. Because uh, as for me, what I want to see is I want to see the offense look as sharp as it looked in Week One last season. Lincoln Riley said recently that he's continued to utilize that thought process of starting fast now during his second year of fall camp. And a season ago, that was the Sooners' motto. And Oklahoma delivered with a sharp offensive performance against UTEP and then, of course, against Ohio State in Week 2. As far as Kyler Murray goes, I want to see Murray look comfortable throwing the football in the pocket and within the structure of the play. I think he's a player who does want to sit back there and sling it to guys down the field. And we've seen that briefly during his action last year against UTEP, Tulane, Kansas, and West Virginia. But can he do it consistently for four quarters? That's something we have not seen yet. At the same time, though, and I know this is going to sound overly picky, I don't want to see him sensing that he has to sit in that pocket and then force throws because that's what he's supposed to do. Also, I don't want to see Kyler attempting a bunch of designed running plays. And remember his first career start in 2015 against South Carolina with Texas A&M. He had 20 rush attempts. Not all those were designed, but a lot of them were because that's what A&M wanted to do with Kyler. They wanted to use his feet as a weapon. I don't think that's the way Oklahoma is going to win at a high level this year. I believe Kyler's legs need to be used sparingly more as a gadget or a last-ditch option to make a play. A lot of OU fans probably think I'm crazy with that, but I'd much rather him play the game like a pocket player who's got a little bit of wiggle in him than an athlete who also throws the ball pretty well. So You're that's crazy. my offensive thoughts. You're crazy. They're, they're not a national championship contender unless Kyler Murray is a, is a dynamic runner. See, you, you likened him to like Lamar Jackson, I think. Podcasts ago, you wanted to be like Lamar Jackson. I don't want that at all. Lamar Jackson was a good quarterback, a Heisman Trophy winner, but against good teams, he wasn't very good. He couldn't complete passes. His accuracy wasn't great because he liked to run too much. There's and a lot, lot more was never talent a national on, title contender. A lot more talent on the offensive line, a lot more talent around Kyler Murray. Uh, put, put Lamar Jackson in this Oklahoma offense, and it's, it's just absolutely insane. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's what I'm hoping. I, I, would, I would love for I, Kyler Murray to be as good as Lamar Jackson. Maybe, but... If, if, I mean, if, yeah, probably Lincoln Riley would scheme it well. Obviously, he's a genius, but it still it doesn't change the fact that Lamar Jackson completed less than sixty percent of his passes. If Kyler Murray is as scheming you can do, if Kyler Murray is as good as Lamar Jackson, they're going to win the national championship this year. All right, I, I guess we'll see how it shakes out. I mean, we're on different angles. I I just think you know the whole narrative of Oklahoma's offense is going to be more run oriented this year than before, and I mean it might be, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't bank on it. I, I think that Lincoln Riley wants to do the same things as last year. And I guess, to be fair, they ran the ball a lot last year. I mean, they ran a ball a ton last season with Baker Mayfield and, and all those, those guys, too. So th that's a huge part of this offense. As far as defense goes, what I want to see, I want to see the defense tackle. Florida Atlantic's offense is predicated on simple calls designed to force the defense into mistakes. Devin Singletary, of course, very good. And Oklahoma needs to tackle him. They need to tackle him. <laughs> a lot of the Owls offense is based on this guy making plays with his feet. And like I said you know, earlier in the podcast, it's pretty similar to David Montgomery in that sense. We're just giving the ball, let him make something happen. I want to see the front seven control the football game. I want to see the corners playing up on the wide receivers, forcing disruptions on those quick timing passes. And I want to see Buki 
finally playing in a real game. All the eyes will be on Kyler Murray on the offensive side. All the eyes will be on Buki Radley-Hiles on the defensive side. You can bet on that. And finally, on special teams, Grant, I want to see how Oklahoma handles this with Shane Beamer on staff now. Will the Sooners be able to do creative stuff with the kickoff team or will these new rules with the touchback being uh, if you fair catch a, a ball in the 25-yard line or, or in, it's a touchback. Will all these new rules just prevent stuff? And what about blocking punts, returning punts, stuff like this? I'll be looking at the special teams a little more closely as well. Lee, have you heard at all about I, – I heard there was some talk maybe Trey Brown was going to be kind of a factor in the return game coming up, which which sort of excited me. Did Have you heard sort of the same thing? I'll be honest. I think I've heard that. But every time people have talked or tweeted or talked, brought up who's going to return punts or kicks, I honestly don't care. I, I just – the one the one time I – my uh, signal went up quickly was when I heard that Lincoln Riley is considering Rodney Anderson as a kick returner which to me doesn't make sense because you have plenty of athletes and why risk him getting injured on the kickoff return so we'll see who's back there I know Marcellia Sutton's supposed to be back there returning kicks again uh, he's or he's in the running of it and uh, yeah I think Trey Brown I, I believe he mentioned as a punt returner potentially maybe even a kickoff returner as well I think Oklahoma's got so many athletes to where they'll find somebody that can make plays so I, I haven't really given it much thought to be honest with you I guess right. yeah. it, I think it all just depends on, you know, are, are they going to emphasis that, you know, that side of the ball this year? And I, I really hope yeah. they do because it's I mean, it, it costs them the Rose Bowl. That's why Georgia won the Rose Bowl. So, you know, it, it's a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, OK. Yeah. A big part of it. You could you, you could point to that as, as maybe a reason, you know, why Georgia won the Rose Bowl. So, yeah, it, it's important. It, it's absolutely important. And, you know, that can be the difference between one loss or two losses or, you know, zero losses mm-hmm. and one loss. All right, finally, Grant, this is our prediction time. What will happen on Saturday? I've got a score prediction. I know you hate giving score predictions, so I won't hold you to that. Uh, do you want me to go first, or would you like to kick it off? No, I'll go first. Uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be a hectic, painful game to watch. Um, but, you know, I, I, think, I think Rodney or Kyler are going to make a big play to swing the momentum in the second half or something. Um, and I think the offense is going to get into hyperdrive at some point. And just wow everybody, just with their efficiency and their explosiveness. I'm thinking something like 42 to 35. So I actually did throw out a, um, you know, throw out a, a score prediction. I think OU is going to win. I think it's going to be really close because I think Florida Atlantic is really good. Um, and honestly, I, I have a feeling that Mike Stoops has not changed his stripes at all. I, I think we're going to see this, the exact same scheme as last year. I mean, we he is what he is, and that's not a crazy thing to think. Uh, we'll see, though. I think a lot of the whole – you've mentioned a lot. If he has good players in the secondary, good corners, then things change a bit. So I think maybe that's the wild card to look at when it comes to the defense. I also think Oklahoma's going to win this game. I'm glad that this one, this this first contest, opens the season because although Florida Atlantic has had just as much time to prepare, I like what Lincoln Riley has done this offseason. I like that they've hired Bob Diaco as a defensive analyst. I like that the secondary has more experience and more talent than last season. Uh, the same can be said about the linebackers. There's more experience there. I, you know, talent-wise, you know, we'll see with the, the incoming freshman like Deshaun White, for example. I like that Buki is on this team, and I'm excited to see how he plays against a real opponent. A couple of factors that work in Oklahoma's favor. Number one, last season Oklahoma played just one game all year with the 11 a.m. kickoff. Everyone remembers the Iowa State game. 
I have no idea if Riley's even talking about that contest with this team. But even if he's not, a lot of these players on Oklahoma were there for that loss to the Cyclones. So I think there'll be a little extra focus in addition to this being the first game of the season against a good team. More focus on playing well because they don't want to be upset again on their home field uh, when the game kicks off before noon. So I think the 11 a.m. kick can bring back some some of those Cyclone nightmares that hope the Oklahoma prevents them. The second thing. The quarterback situation at FAU, for whatever reason, you know, Kiffin last year, he did not make the correct decision on the starter for week one a season ago. And I was against Navy in that game. In fact, Driscoll, the guy who ended up playing most of the season, he opened the year as the third string quarterback for FAU. And once he was inserted in the lineup, as we've gone over a bit, the offense began clicking. In game one last season, FAU allowed 40 plus points to Navy at home in Boca Raton while only scoring 19 points. Oklahoma, obviously better than Navy, and now FAU is on the road in this one with another new quarterback. What if Kiffin makes the wrong call again and the starter that we see on Saturday isn't the best quarterback at the end of the year for FAU? So I think there's a, there's a historical significance in that. Uh, also, Charlie Weiss Jr., offensive coordinator for FAU. It's his first game. You know How much influence will Kiffin have? You've already talked about how Weiss was – Kiffin's right-hand man a bit. Uh, I think Kiffin will probably have a healthy amount, but Kiffin wouldn't have hired this guy if he didn't think he was ready to go. And I, I think Weiss will be super prepared. I think he's going to be ready for this Oklahoma defense because he's clearly very intelligent, and it is his first game. He'll want to make a statement. But at the same time, I'm hoping that he makes some mistakes with some calls. Perhaps he gets a little too aggressive here and there, or maybe even a little too conservative. Uh, I like that Oklahoma is steady in all of their key coaching spots on offense. That's – and. It always helps to have Lincoln Riley, of course, in that talent. Um, I had a feeling, Grant, that you'd be a little cautiously optimistic and have a little doomsday-ish to your, to your prediction. I'm going to go the other way, though. I trust Lincoln Riley. I trust Bill Biedenboe. And you talked about how FAU was not great against the run last year. And I just trust this offensive personnel. I think Oklahoma's going to find a way to score a lot of points. What I don't know is if the defense will actually be solid. And nobody knows that. Uh, FAU is going to score some points. They're going to score some points as well because let's be real. This is the Oklahoma defense. It gives up points and yards until further notice. But I'm predicting the Sooners offense will be able to score enough to help out the defense. Maybe make FAU a little more predictable. I'm going to go with Oklahoma winning this game 45 to 21, which does mean the Sooners cover that 21 point spread. By the way, if you would have asked me this two days ago, what my prediction would have been, I would have gone Oklahoma wins, but FAU covers. I've totally changed my mind after doing a little bit more research for this podcast. So that's my pick. You heard Grant's pick. Mm. I mean, I, I, I Lee, I will, I, I will say if they if they come out and they beat FAU by by three to four touchdowns, they're a special team. This is a special team. That's all I got to say. So there we have it. That's our in depth preview of Florida Atlantic. I think we went probably close to an hour on the Owls. We have a couple little more topics. We'll go real quick through this. I know we've gone long in this podcast. Let's just talk about the Big 12 games this week that are worth watching. If, if you have any thoughts on this, Grant, go for it. If not, uh, we'll move on. Texas and Maryland, of course, they're playing again. This one's uh, this one is, is at FedEx Field in Landover. Don't really have a feel for this game, although Texas is favored by nearly two touchdowns in Maryland, all the stuff going on there. You'd think Texas should win this football game considering all the hype around them. 
don't have a lot to add. I'm curious to see what their offense looks like, the Longhorns offense, because, of course, this game last year, Texas lost to Maryland. Did you have any thoughts on this matchup? Yeah, Lee, we have to we have to speed through this uh, segment because I have a beautiful bride who needs to go to sleep. But um, let's see here. I, I think, yeah, I, I'm glad you brought up the um, – the, the Maryland, like the stuff going on at Maryland is so just awful. It's, it's awful. And I, DJ Durkin's going to lose his job there. Uh, I, I just, I, Texas is going to blow him out probably that, that there's no way that team is ready to play. Um, if, <laughs> if Maryland gives them, gives Texas a game, then yeah, Texas still has a lot of problems. All right, well, we'll just go quickly through the Big 12. Uh, Ole Miss and Texas Tech plays. That's interesting. And then Tennessee, West Virginia is pretty interesting. West Virginia, though, is a 10-point favorite. That's a little high because Tennessee's been a dumpster fire, but I think, what, Jeremy Pruitt knows defense. So there's a chance that that could be a pretty competitive game. We'll see. Uh, outside of those those teams, Oklahoma State, TCU, Kansas, Kansas State, Baylor, and Iowa State all play FCS teams this week. So not so much, uh, not sure what we'll learn about those teams. Other games um, to watch. Well, well, hold on a second. Go, go. We gotta, I, I okay. want to touch on it a little right, bit. I wanna, right. Yeah, just, just, real, just real quick. I think I, I like Ole Miss against Texas Tech. Um, until further notice, I, I'm I'm, I'm going to take the SEC over the Big Twelve and in games like that, just whenever. Um, uh, yeah, I tend to yeah. I tend to lean that way too. Especially with you know, I mean the the spread in that game is two and a half. That's that's a, that's a coin flip. Um, Tennessee, West Virginia. I think that's going to be a close game. I, I just West Virginia is overrated. They're really overrated. That's going to be a close game. Um, so and Tennessee's you know you know Butch you know Butch Jones was a terrible head football coach, but you know. He was not a bad recruiter. That guy got some really good players to Tennessee. And now you got a guy who just who probably knows what he's doing, taking over good players. Um, so I, I, I like Tennessee maybe to be sort of a sleeper team this year. And they, they might sneak up on West Virginia. I, I'm not, I'm not going to take Tennessee to win, uh, but they can certainly give West Virginia some fits. At the end of this podcast, in a few minutes, we have five games that we're going to pick against the spread. If you remember last year, we always picked five games each podcast, and we – kept our record throughout the season but last year we did it just straight up who's going to win this year we're going to do it against the spread because you know what the supreme court said that gambling is legal in the united states and it's up to each state to do it so we're going to do it against the spread because that's a little more difficult but before we get to that real quick just five other games that are worth watching out for this week thursday night you got ucf and uconn that's josh heupel's first game as the ucf head coach and then interesting to watch mckenzie milton see what he looks like in that one Appalachian State against Penn State on Saturday. Penn State's a 23.5-point favorite, but you know how I feel about Penn State. I don't know. I think App State, they're kind of a perennial. They were really good in the FCS. They've been pretty solid when they moved to FBS. I will tell you now, I'm going to take App State to cover that spread. I don't know. If, I don't think they're going to win, but I think that's going to be closer than 23.5 points. So did you, uh, that's Lee, my did you see that? Uh, did you see like that anonymous coaches poll that – like it was the James Franklin was the highest like voted person who they think is just like kind of an overrated coach. A lot of people think that. Uh, with, really? With, yeah. Without Joe Moorhead, they think he's kind of in for some trouble. I saw that uh, article, but I don't remember that part of it. I should have I should have read it closely. That's interesting. I'll have to yeah. look back at and that. then um, and then also I, I saw another interesting thing today. The 25 out of the last 29 seasons, Lee a team from the top 10 at, in the preseason has finished the year unranked. That's been 25 of the last 29 seasons. I think Penn State's mm. actually a, a, a very good candidate for that. Oh, um, wow. Look at this. But, starting to yeah. convince you that Penn State might no, not be that I, good. But, hey, listen no, to the rest of the I, yeah. nation, though. Penn State's great. 
No, I, I, I think, awesome. you know, I, I think, you know, that's along with Penn State and, you know, maybe Auburn is a good one just because they have a really difficult schedule. Um, but just throw that out there. I don't know. I, mean, it's, I think it, Miami also is a candidate for that as well. Mm, I don't. I think they're. I think Rick has them back, kind of probably where they're going to be. I, yeah. I still, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're, maybe not. They're still probably a year or two away from being, you know, a, a perennial contender. But um, you know, I, I think Miami's probably a good team, and they, they play in a pretty, you know, the ACC is not weak, but you know, there's there's just a lot of kind of six and six, seven and five quality teams in the ACC. Sure. Yeah. Grant, I know that you probably won't watch this game, but you'll probably look at the score of USC hosting UNLV. Just because you're so down on USC, and I am too. They got a new quarterback. I can't remember his name. He's a true freshman that's going to start. I don't know if you got his name, but and he, I haven't and he should be a senior yet. in high school right now. He's like 17. He he skipped his senior year of high school. So yeah, we'll see. USC, the number 15th ranked team in the nation, the post Sam Darnold era. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll watch a little bit of this game, but I'm curious to see if I mean they're going to beat UNLV likely just on talent alone. But we'll see. I mean they're favored by 26 points, so we'll see if they can cover that spread. Boise State at Troy. I've heard that this is a game where Troy might be able to beat Boise State straight up. Boise State's a 10.5-point favorite. Don't know much about either one of these teams, but Boise State does play Oklahoma State in Week 2, which will be an interesting matchup. And I'm not going to include this game in the picks because I think it's obvious where we're going to both pick Alabama. But Alabama and Louisville, that's just, I mean, it's you know night game on Saturday. It'd be shocking if Alabama doesn't run, run by Louisville in this one without Lamar Jackson. Another year, another year of Alabama probably opening up the season with a dominating win in, in week one. What do you think? That's that's a huge spread. That's, that's yeah, like 24 that is kind of big. Twenty four and a half. Massive. Um, yeah, you know, I can see it. Bobby Petrino. I mean, that guy. I, I mean, do you have any doubt he's going to come out with like a really good game plan? I think he will. Yeah. True, uh, but you know, I, I, I yeah. mean, there's Louisville ain't gonna win. There's no way they're gonna win the game. But I, I could certainly see them giving them, you know, fits for a couple quarters. Yeah, so could I. That's a good point. All right, let's move on to our pick segment again. This is gonna be against the spread, and the first game we have to pick is a bit of a wild card game on Friday night. I think it's gonna be interesting. Eight o'clock kick: San Diego State at number thirteen, Stanford. Stanford a fifteen and a half point favorite in this game, although. The Aztecs knocked off Stanford a season ago. I'm going to pick San Diego State to cover the 15.5-point spread in this game. Grant, what say you? This is the hardest one uh, that you put on here, Lee. This is a, this is a good one. Uh, I'm going to take Stanford just because I know uh, San Diego State lost their, lost their big-time running back, and you know, I know they've built you know, a pretty good program there. They have quite the, you know, quite the talent base there in California. Uh, Stanford's got a lot of guys back, and they have Bryce Love, who is you know, – maybe the best running back in the country. A lot of people say he absolutely is the best running back in the country. I'll take Stanford. All right. Next game. One of the biggest ones. I mean, all these other games are, are pretty big games. 2.30 Saturday. Number six, Washington versus number nine, Auburn, in a pretty nice matchup. Auburn, one and a half point favorites. Game being played in Atlanta. Grant, I'm going to take the points in this one as well. I will take Washington plus one and a half over Auburn, what say you? Lee, I'm not falling for this trap at all. So many people are picking Washington. No, I'm going, I'm going with the SEC team that returns a lot of talent on defense. Auburn's going to win this game, and they're going to cover. They're, and the game's, in, the game's in Georgia. The game's, they have a, it's going to be a home game for Auburn also. All right. Next game, number 14, Michigan, at number 12, Notre Dame. Notre Dame, 
is actually at home in this game. So this isn't one of those neutral site games. This is a home matchup for the Irish. Notre Dame, it's basically a coin flip. The Irish, a one-point favorite. Uh, 6.30 kick on Saturday. Grant, I'll let you pick this one first. I think Michigan's going to win, so I will take them to cover. All right, and I will actually go with Notre Dame. I'll take the Irish minus one until I see improvement out of the quarterback position. And I know Shea Patterson's supposed to be the savior for Michigan. I'm going to go against. Uh, I'm going to go against Harbaugh's offense. I, Notre Dame's going to probably have another good defense again, and they're at home. I'll take Notre Dame. Basically, I mean they got to win the game because it's only a one point spread. So basically, you're picking a winner here. So I'll go with the Irish. Although I'm not super confident. Uh, either way, I wouldn't be that confident. This game is. I don't have any thoughts. And just to preface it, too, I can't wait to see all these games and then re, uh, I guess reset my thoughts on all these teams. You know what I mean? Because we haven't seen them play for eight months. Yeah, and, and we're so just... We're, we're all just guessing at this, this point. This is guessing, yeah. And so my my logic behind Michigan is they returned 10 starters on what was probably the second best defense in all of college football last year. That's my... that's yeah. And so their their defense is probably every bit as good as Clemson's is. Um, and defense travels, and Notre Dame, uh, Brandon Wilbush is terrible. That guy cannot. Yeah, he's not good. Yeah, so I, I think uh, Michigan might Michigan might beat him by they might multiple have a different scores. quarterback. I, I've been. I, I guess Wimbush is competing with somebody else, so it might not even be him. They might go two quarterbacks, or you yeah. know, Brian Kelly's got to figure that out. Yeah, I just. I, I think I next think, game. Yeah, I think Michigan's gonna be really good this year. All right, uh, next game, a, a Sunday night game. So we're going to Sunday now. This is kind of fun about this Labor Day weekend. There's games on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then there's one on Monday. So this one's at 6.30 on Sunday. Number eight, Miami, playing a neutral site game against number 25, LSU, at AT&T Stadium in Arlington. Miami is a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, I'll take the Hurricanes to cover this one just because I do not trust Ed Orgeron. I know it's kind of a, a – a widely held belief by a lot of people in the national media about that Orgeron probably going to lose his job at some point. I'm, I'm a square when it comes to that. I just don't buy him. Even though this is the first game of the year, maybe they'll be a little more prepared and they're getting points since the SEC. I'll go with Miami just because I feel more comfortable in the better head coach. I'm going to take Miami too, uh, and for the exact same reasons. Ed Orgeron's a bad coach. He's not a good head coach. Um, and also, I, I think it's I, I find it hilarious that there's a lot of people at, at LSU who are really excited that. Uh, their starting quarterback was the third string quarterback at Ohio State. It's pretty pretty yeah, funny Joe to Burrow. me. And and would have yeah, been that's... and would have been the third string quarterback this year. Kind of it's it's just funny to me. LSU just cannot get a good quarterback into that school. No, they cannot. They cannot. Finally, the Monday night Labor Day game, seven o'clock kick, number twenty Virginia Tech going to Tallahassee to take on number nineteen Florida State. The Seminoles are seven and a half point favorites, and something tells me, Grant, you and I are going to be on the exact same page on this one. I will take the Hokies and the seven and a half points, and I'm feeling pretty confident in it just because, again, I'm basing it off of head coaching. Uh, Willie Taggart, not sold on him, and I'm blanking on – this sounds really bad because I'm blanking on Fuente. head coaching. Fuente, yeah. I like Fuente. And I like the fact that Virginia Tech, I think they have a decent amount of guys back. And basically what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm taking the points that I don't really trust Willie Taggart. I don't know if he's that great of a coach. I'm not sure if they'll be as ready as maybe they should be. Francois being healthy again makes me kind of concerned. But uh, I will gladly take the plus seven and a half and take Vatek. Yeah, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Virginia Tech to cover. I think Florida State might win this game. Could just be you know they're at home. Virginia Tech is replacing a lot of talent on defense. They have a, they have quite a bit of guys back on offense. Um, you know I I this is this is just a head coaching mismatch. 
Um, and I, you know, Florida State, you know, playing at home at night, they're going to have the home field advantage. I'm sure they're going to be pretty pumped up to play. And they still got a lot of really good players on their team. Um, I'll take Virginia Tech to cover, but I'm not, I'm not going to go as far as saying I'm going to take them to win. But it, it's, it's, it's going to be a, you know, it's going to be a bar brawl. That game's going to be ugly, so ugly. All right, that does it. We are done. Grant uh, doing the show from out of the country. We made it through this with only limited interruption. Grant, now you're not going to be able. You're not going to be back in the country to watch the OU game. You're going to have to watch it overseas. Is that right? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have to figure something out. We'll we'll see. It's it's going to be on at six or six o'clock in the evening where I am. I'll be in Amsterdam, by the way, so that'll be interesting. Um, but I'll I'll probably have to uh, I'll have to watch it on the computer or, or something like that. All right. Well, good luck with that. And I'm glad this worked out well. So that's it for today. Hopefully you enjoyed the OU Fort Atlantic preview. And also enjoy OU FAU on Saturday. We're finally there, everyone. We'll have plenty of reaction to the game on Monday. Until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.